It's called a black man is God. Yes, yes, y'all. It's Jay Hicks back with another edition of the Hip Hop Sports Report podcast. How y'all doing this evening? Today is late Sunday night, May the 3rd of 2020. Like most of y'all, I just got done watching the latest edition of the Last Dance documentary. I think it was episodes five and six tonight. Pretty good stuff. Uh, They talked about. Among other things, the 1993 NBA Finals between Michael Jordan's Bulls and the Phoenix Suns, who were led by a guy named Charles Barkley. And Charles Barkley is going to be the subject of tonight's podcast. So we appreciate y'all stopping through once again. Y'all know where to find us, hiphopsportsupport.com. We've been at it for quite a few years now, so we appreciate all the love and support. Twitter.com slash HHS Report. Facebook.com slash HHS Report. I have a guest in the quote-unquote studio with me. Oh, she oh she spoke. I didn't know she she speaks. That's my wife, y'all. You can call her Dr. Hicks, actually. PhD. And I ain't talking play a hater degree. She got the real deal Holyfield over here. We're so proud of Dr. Hicks. So appreciate the support from her this evening. She normally doesn't tune into the podcast in person. She's got better things to do, clearly, right? But she decided to, to pop in on this one because this is a very special edition. This is literally the most excited I think I've ever been to record a podcast, believe it or not. To focus a podcast strictly on Charles Barkley, I've been following his career since as long as I can remember, since I started watching basketball. And I've been fighting the fight for him on social media for a long time. For anybody who follows Hip Hop Sports Report, you know that I'm always sticking up for Chuck because a lot of people... Don't put respect on his name properly or just aren't aware or just ignorant of how dope he actually was. And it was interesting tonight because the last dance documentary was on. There was a lot of people on Twitter commenting about Charles, like some people saying they didn't even know he was that much of a beast. Or Charles was a dog or man, y'all better do some research or some homework on Chuck Barkley. Right. And I'm just thinking like, this is where I've, I've lived here for, for three decades. Like, what are y'all on right now? <laughs> like if y'all didn't know Charles Barkley was the truth by now Like I don't know what to tell you I mean I'm glad Welcome You know what I'm saying Welcome The, the bandwagon could be more full So uh, And believe me I, I see all these debates on social media And all this other stuff About who's the GOAT power forward And we're gonna get into all that And obviously Barkley doesn't have any championships And we're gonna obviously touch on that as well But the reason why we're here tonight The reason why we're here It's not Draymond Green <laughs> saying he had more of an impact on the game of basketball than Charles. No, it's not that. It's not even the last dance documentary, really. But but this is the perfect time with the coronavirus taking place. Everybody focusing more on the past. Old series are being run on television all the time. Old finals games and all this stuff. Uh, shout out to to the people at the Ringer. Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo have been doing their podcast, and the and 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 that's been um, enjoyable as a listener. I know Rosillo has always been a big Barkley guy, so I, I shout out to him. I hope he hears this at some point. But you know they talk about him a lot on there. Late recently, they have, and Charles's name has just been been in the media quite a bit here lately, just for his game, which hasn't always been the case. You know because he's been retired now longer than he played. He played 16 years. He's been retired for 20. So people just have forgotten how dope he was. The reason why we're here tonight, we, we need to move Charles Barkley up the pantheon of all-time great players, y'all. We just have to do it. Like, it's time. Like, like enough is enough. We have enough data. That we have enough information. We don't need to sit back and just count rings like fourth graders because, you know, there's no reason for us to sit here and just act like because one person has championships in a team sport and another person doesn't, that that automatically makes that person that has those titles better 
It doesn't have to work like that. It shouldn't work like that. And some of you may be thinking, well, Justin, aren't you quite the hypocrite because you arrived for Tom Brady and all that? My belief in Tom Brady being the greatest football player that ever lived goes well beyond the number of championships he won. It's much deeper than just that. But I do feel like I'm uniquely qualified to talk about the subject because I do ride so hard for Brady, who has more championships than anybody in the 100-year history of the NFL. And I ride for Barkley, who never won a championship, right? So there's a, there's a balance that has to be had with championships and team sports because it's not strictly one person that has to do everything contrary to popular belief michael jordan did not win these titles on his own okay jordan didn't win jack without dean smith or phil jackson he had two of the greatest basketball minds that ever lived coaching on the sidelines for him he had james worthy player of the year in college and then he won it as a freshman he won the national championship Though James Worthy left, he didn't win nothing. You know what I mean? He gets to the NBA. There's no Pippen, no Rodman, none of those guys. He doesn't win anything until Phil and Scotty and some other people come along. So, yes, it's a team effort. And the fact that Barkley has not won should not be held against him in the way that it is. That it is. We're going to get into all of that. So, But let me just start by saying, kind of figuring out where he does rank. Most people, when they talk about Charles Barkley, right, I did some research, y'all. In fact, I did a lot of research. In fact, I probably overprepared for this podcast because, again, this is like my magnum opus right here, y'all. This is I've never been so uh, pumped to, to talk about a subject in my podcasting career, right? Illustrious podcasting career, mind you, because this is the preseason podcast of the year after all, right? Bill Simmons, the aforementioned Bill Simmons in 2010, he wrote his book, The Book of Basketball. He ranked Charles Barkley the 19th best player of all time. CBS did a list in 2017 that ranked him 20th. Bleacher Report did a ranking last year that ranked him 19th. Slam Magazine did a ranking in 2011 that ranked him 20th. ESPN had him 18th all time in 2016. So while they had him, you know, you guys got to get a, you get a feel for where he falls in the eyes of, of most, right? He's somewhere in between the 15, 20 range. Most people have him right around 20. If you average it out, it's about 19th amongst those five outlets that I mentioned, right? Um, I think he's top 10. This this podcast is the official case for Charles Barkley being to be moved into the top 10 discussion for greatest basketball player that ever lived. He should be in the top 10. Well, who's ahead of him? Because somebody has to come out of, out of that list if he's going to move up, right? Well, here's the thing. There's about 12 guys that stand out above the rest. Like most people, most outlets, most observers have the following 12 guys in their top 12 in some particular order, right? Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Magic, Bird, Bill Russell, Wilt, Shaq, Tim Duncan, Kobe, Hakeem, and Oscar. Those are the 12 guys that most people kind of have at the top. Then there's another group of people, Dr. J, Dirk, KG, Bob Pettit, Durant, Curry, Jerry West, Carl Malone, Moses Malone, David Robinson, John Havlicek, Isaiah Thomas, and Charles Barkley. That's where Barkley lives currently in that discussion with that group of players. The thing is that Barkley, you know, because he's been retired for 20 years and he's been on TV cracking jokes, people just forget about how much of a dog he was and they just look at it as, as he's the funny guy on TNT. But now his position is being threatened by guys like Dirk Nowitzki, for example, who was, you know, I watched Dirk's entire career, y'all. He was not better at basketball than Charles Barkley. He wasn't. Barkley was better at way more things than Dirk was. Dirk was great. Dirk revolutionized the game in his own way with the jump shooting aspect of it. And that was something that was unique to him at the time. Good for Dirk, right? <laughs> Dirk won a title. Great for Dirk. I got nothing. I got. I'm, I'm good with Dirk. I like Dirk as a player. He was not better than Charles Barkley, but some people question whether or not he is because he did win that title primarily 
and because he had a longer career. Part of the thing that you guys have to realize when you're ranking these guys is there's a major, major difference between the what kind of player you were versus the type of career that you had. You can be a great player and you can have a better career or you can have a worse career, right? So when you talk about, for example, the top five power forwards of all time, with apologies to Bob Pettit, people typically look at Tim Duncan, who's not a power forward, by the way. He's a center. <laughs> Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That dude was a center. I watched that dude's whole career. That dude played against a bunch of 6'9 guys. He guarded other team centers. He played almost exclusively on the box. You know, he, he, he did everything that a center does, except they labeled him a power forward. Because when he got to San Antonio, David Robinson was already there established as the center, quote-unquote, of the Spurs. And so Tim Duncan comes in. What are they going to do? Make him the co-center? No, they made him the power forward because David Robinson was already there. That's the only reason why he's viewed that way. But it's easier to make him the greatest power forward ever because there's been, late, there's been more great centers than there have been great power forwards. So it's easier to make his claim as the greatest power forward. Be that as it may. Duncan, Dirk, KG, Karl Malone, Barkley. Those are the five guys that people t- typically look at. And of those five, I think you could argue that Barkley had the worst career of the five. But I think he was the best player. And I'm going to get into that. I think the, first, the, the best way to kind of start by looking at all this is just looking at the accolades and the records, right? Because this is the easy way. You, you guys can Google this stuff and just get this out the way real quick, right? So Charles was 1993 MVP. He finished in the MVP voting uh, in the top six eight times. He was an 11-time All-NBA player. He made the All-NBA first team five of those 11 times. He was an 11-time All-Star as well. He was one of the 50 greatest players of all time, two-time Hall of Fame inductee, once as an individual, once with the Dream Team, one-time conference champion. Yes, that is a thing. He won a conference championship. He held up a trophy at the end of it. They printed out shirts that said champs on it. He was a one-time conference champion. He was the 1991 All-Star Game MVP, two-time Olympic gold medal winner. He was the 1987 rebounding champion in the NBA. He was the shortest player ever to win the rebounding championship. Um, he made the All-Rookie Team in 85. He was the SEC Player of the Decade in the 1980s. A lot of y'all probably didn't know that. Um, he also has the 56-point uh, game in the playoffs. That was, his, that was the third highest playoff scoring game in history. He has a 33-rebound game. That was the third most in a regulation game since 1984. Um, he out he rebounded the Phoenix Suns as a team that night in his first game with the Rockets. He had 33 boards. I think Oakley actually has the record of 35 since 84. He also has the mo- record for most uh, offensive rebounds in a quarter and in a half, 11 and 13 respectively. He's averaged a double-double for more seasons than any player in NBA history. Um, I think all but one of his 16 seasons he averaged a double-double. So, um, yeah, man. I mean, obviously the guy was dope, right? Um, let's go back to the MVP right quick. Are you bored yet, sweetheart? She said she shook her head no, but she's also been scrolling on her phone the whole time, y'all. So I think, I think we know where her interest lies. I ain't mad at you, okay? I ain't mad at it. This isn't for everybody, okay? No shade is felt this way. This ain't for everybody, y'all. This is for the real stat heads because I'm going to be throwing a lot of stats, a lot of facts really fast on this podcast. So I'm going to need y'all to keep your head on the swivel, keep your eyes and ears open, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot's going to be coming at you, right? Starting with the MVP in 1993. So some people will tell you that Michael Jordan deserved MVP in 93 simply because he's Michael Jordan and you got to give it to the best player at the time, right? What's funny about that is that they don't want to apply that same... (laughs) that same criteria to LeBron James. If, if that's how we're going to operate, LeBron should have 10 MVPs, right? Because he's been the best player for that long. But 
No, he, it doesn't work that way. That season, 1992-93, the best player in basketball was Charles Barkley. It was not Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan averaged about 33 a game that year. I think he led the league in steals or was close to it. Um, and he led the Bulls to about 55 wins, something like that. Barkley deserved the MVP over him. Charles switched conferences that year. His best teammate, Kevin Johnson, missed 33 games. He still led Phoenix to the best record in the NBA. So that's, that would be like if Mike won 62 games without Scottie Pippen for a third of the season or whatever. Like Barkley has the Suns his first year with the new team, and that always gives you a, a bump in the eyes of the voters, right? And Because it's a good narrative. It's a good story, right? But he goes to Phoenix. He takes Phoenix from a pretty good Western Conference team to the best team in the league. They're 62-20. and 20. KJ misses 33 games. They still finish with the best record. Charles leads the team in points, rebounds, assists. He leads the NBA in triple doubles, and he sat out six games. <laughs> okay? He was the best player in basketball that year. And, and so there's a reason why he won MVP. He deserved it. And, and he was a runaway winner that year, right? And he entered the 1993-94 season upon Jordan's retirement as the best player in the world. For that moment, he was the guy. He was the face of the NBA. Now, that didn't last very long, admittedly, because he got injured in 94. He had back problems, and he had a, a quadriceps tear in January of that year that really slowed him down. So he didn't have the year in 94 that he had in 93. And then by the end of 94, Hakeem Olajuwon had kind of asserted himself as the top dog in the NBA, winning MVP, uh, defensive player of the year, won the championship that year. So... But here's something that you probably didn't know about MVP. Barkley should actually have two MVPs, not one. Because he was utterly robbed. He was like gun in a rib cage outside of the liquor store robbed of the 1990 MVP, right? They gave it to Magic Johnson. And this is nothing against Magic. Magic absolutely was a worthy uh, candidate that year in 1990. But he did not deserve it over Barkley, right? Um, Barkley's best teammate that year was Hershey Hawkins, <laughs> And uh, uh, Philly only won like 10 less games than the Lakers did, whose next best player was James Worthy, who's a Hall of Famer, right? So uh, in case you're wondering, Hershey Hawkins not in the Hall of Fame, okay? So Philly with Barkley was uh, one of the top contenders in the Eastern Conference, and Barkley actually had more first place votes than Magic Johnson for MVP. They asked a group of writers, who should win MVP? More people wrote down the name Charles Wade Barkley than any other player, yet somehow he did not win the award. Now, you tell me that that's not robbery. He got robbed. He should have two MVPs. So now, if he has two MVPs, that changes a lot for his legacy, right? Because a lot of times people will rank Karl Malone ahead of Barkley because Karl Malone has two MVPs. Karl Malone has two of the most controversial MVP wins in history. He should have zero. He, he robbed Michael Jordan in 97, and he probably didn't deserve to win in 1999. He only averaged like 24 and 9 that in a strike year. Like that, like, I mean, he, it was not impressive even by his standards, but they gave him the award anyways. Malone should have zero. Barkley should have two. And here's the list of guys with multiple MVPs. Kareem, Jordan, Russell, LeBron, Wilt, Moses, Bird, Magic, Pettit, Karl Malone, Duncan, Nash, and Curry. A second MVP vaults Charles Barkley into that conversation. Uh, aside from Nash and Curry, you know, I mean, you look at that list. A lot of those guys that I just mentioned that have multiple MVPs are in that top 12 list of names that I mentioned at the top of the show. What you really need to pay attention to is that list of names because I'm going to be going over some other names later in the show when we talk about how Barkley measures up statistically. And you're going to see that he stomps on those guys in a lot of categories and people don't really know it. So 
Um, and the same thing actually is true with the All-Star game. Barkley was um, robbed of an All-Star appearance. I'm not even sure why, but there was, uh, in the 1986 All-Star game, there was two injured players, Patrick Ewing and Michael Jordan. They didn't play. For some reason, they didn't even name replacements for them. Charles Barkley actually made second team All-NBA in his second season in 85-86. But yet somehow he didn't make the All-Star team. So either the voting was extremely flawed or he had the greatest second half of a season that we've ever seen. I don't think that's what happened. I think they just screwed that up. But Barkley should have 12 All-Star appearances. As it stands, he has 11. But... If he did make uh, his 12th All-Star game, which he should have, he would join a list of 23 players to have made at least 12 All-Star games. And it's a lot of those same names, y'all. Kareem, Kobe, LeBron, Duncan, uh, Shaq, Jordan, you know, Wilt, Bird, Magic, Hakeem, Oscar, Russell. All those dudes have made 12 or, or more. Um, and of the list of guys that have made 12 All-Star games, the only one who didn't win a championship was Karl Malone. And Carl Malone went to the finals three times and Barkley only went once. And it ain't because Carl Malone's a better player. <laughs> That's for damn sure. But again, career versus eye test. Malone had a better career. He played longer. He kept his body in immaculate condition. He had a lot of good fortune. And he didn't pay, play at the breakneck pace that Barkley did. Barkley started breaking down in 1994 because he played so recklessly, primarily. And we're going to get into a little bit why some people believe that too, beyond just that. But let me start talking about his game a little bit because, you know, we can go over kind of the, the accolades and all that stuff, right? I, I mentioned y'all can look that up. I want to talk a little bit about Charles's game. First of all, everything that we discussed with Charles needs to be understood through the prism of how big he was. Charles Barkley was listed as 6'6". There's always been controversy around exactly how tall he is or isn't. I think he's probably a little under 6'6". I think he's 6'5 and change. Very close to 6'6", but probably not quite. Some people will tell you that he's actually closer to 6'4", 6'4", without shoes. The point is, is that he came into the league at a time when it was still cool to be big, basically, and to, and to, be, and to play big and to want to play big, right? So centers were, in, they lived in the paint where they should, right? <laughs> they were dunking the ball. They were scoring on the box. They were grabbing a lot of rebounds. They were not drifting out to the three-point line. They were not trying to handle the ball and all that stuff. It was still very much a big man's game in 1984 when Charles came in. And even when Michael Jordan took off and, and, and owned the league in the 90s, there was still Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, Akeem, Shaq, and a lot of other very good big men that still made it a big man-centric type of league. And there were a lot of great power forwards too. And Charles was smaller than all of those dudes, right? But he still dominated games physically in a way that we have not seen anybody from that size. Charles was elite at two things, I believe. He was an elite scorer in large part due to his uh, insane efficiency. He was as efficient as anybody we've ever seen in terms of scoring. And then his other elite attribute was rebounding, of course, right? And he was a better offensive rebounder than he was a defensive rebounder, which is extremely hard to do because offensive rebounding is harder than defensive rebounding but how many other great players can you say was a better offensive rebounder than they were defensive I, i'm not sure how many you can say that about and that to me that and his size makes charles arguably the greatest rebounder that ever lived you know i mean you have to take all those rebounding numbers that you see from wilton russell and those guys with a grain of salt 
back in the 50s and 60s when the pace was a lot quicker and guys didn't know how to shoot, right? Russell and Wilt were the only guys over 6'9 on the court. Everybody else was 6'5", and they grabbed every rebound that came off. That's why the rebounding numbers are so skewed from back in those days. But anything before, like, the 1970s, you have to kind of be like, eh, those numbers don't really hold up under modern understanding of the game and how things have evolved, right? And even when you look at his contemporaries like Dennis Rodman, Dennis Rodman was a great rebounder, obviously. He averaged more rebounds than Charles did on a per-game basis, but that's all Dennis Rodman did was get rebounds. He was a rebounder, and he played defense, and he was great at it, so I'm not knocking him for that. But Charles Barkley was busy getting 30 points also, so imagine if Charles had dedicated that much energy and focus to getting rebounds only. If that was his only job like it was Rodman's, I think he would have blew Rodman out of the water on the rebounding tip, to be honest with you. And to that point, in the last 45 years, Charles Barkley leads everybody in rebounds per game for players that are six foot six or shorter. Or I should say listed at six foot six or shorter. And it's not close, y'all. Nobody's even within four boards a game. <laughs> so he's averaging almost 12 a game for his entire 16-year career, over a thousand games. So that's how dominant he was for his size. If you increase that number to anybody six nine or shorter. The only player that averages more per game than him is Rodman. But again, that's all Rodman did was rebound, right? And, and, and dye his hair, I guess, and wear wedding dresses and stuff. <laughs> I mean, if they gave out awards for fingernail polish, I'm sure Dennis would be in there, you know, because he walked around dressing like gold dust in the mid-90s. But, you know what I'm saying, Charles is busy getting buckets and boards, you know what I mean? Um, versatility. Charles had it all. He had it all. He was undersized his whole career. And, and going back to high school, he was undersized, which is why he developed guard skills at an early age in Alabama when he was still in high school. He was a backup point guard on his high school team until he was like a junior or senior, and then he grew six inches and then got into the starting lineup. But he still kept all those guard skills. That's why you see Barkley get a rebound and go coast to coast the way that he does. Nobody, nobody's done that before or since. That was such a big part of his game, and that was so totally unique to Charles. Getting a rebound, putting it on the floor, either dishing it off for a teammate for a transition layup or getting a layup or getting fouled himself or dunk. These are things that were unique to him. Nobody was doing this stuff, and nobody does it now. Like you, I mean, LeBron does it, but LeBron's a small forward, and, and you know, obviously he's recognized as one of the greatest athletes the game has ever seen. Charles needs to be put in that conversation because of everything that I mentioned about the rebounding and his size, but also because his ability to handle the rock and his court vision, right? He was a one-man fast break at a time which we had never seen that before. He was a great ball handler for his position, and yet he had great footwork on the low block i mean his footwork was on par with kevin McHale's and tim duncan's yes yes on par with kevin McHale's and tim duncan's i mean go look at some tape i encourage all of you to go look at some barkley tape after hearing this podcast because his footwork was just that good and his explosiveness and his second jump was like zion williamson is today he, except he came 30 years earlier and if you combine all those things, it's no wonder why he grabbed so many rebounds and why he was so effective. He also had tremendous hands. He played with a lot of intensity and heart, and he could get his points anywhere on the court. He had a mid-range game. He could make threes when he wanted to. I mean, he could get points in transition. He could get points off the, the pick and roll if they ran it, which, you know, rarely anybody outside of Utah did that in the 90s or the 80s. Um, but he could get his points anywhere on the court. He was always a threat no matter where he was, and he was always a threat to set up his teammates, unlike somebody like Carl Malone. Carl Malone, again, great player, Hall of Fame player. I believe Carl Malone is the most overrated, 
great player in NBA history. So I'm not saying that he wasn't great because obviously he was. Anybody would be foolish not to want that guy on their team. But you could probably do better if you're trying to get a superstar on your team, right? If you're, if you're talking about judging him against the greats of the greats, he doesn't stack up. And you look at how he got his points. He had the good fortune of playing his entire career with a dude who dedicated his entire career to setting him up for points. You know, not many guys can say that. Charles certainly can't say that. But in addition to that, Carl Malone got all of his points either in transition, at the foul line, mid-range jumper, pick and roll. That's it. <laughs> he didn't get points any other kind of way. He wasn't getting offensive rebounds and stickbacks. He wasn't creating off the dribble. He, he, was, he wasn't doing stepbacks and pull-ups. None of that. None of that. No hezzy. No, 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 no. No breaking defenses down. None of that. That's not what he did. No, he, the four things that he did, he did really well. But that's all he did, right? And he didn't have that versatility as an offensive player. He didn't have that versatility as a, as a distributor, as a ball handler, any of that stuff. And so I think that's what sets Charles apart from somebody like him and a lot of other players. I mentioned the passing briefly. What's funny is that we talk about like Draymond Green and stuff with the passing. Uh, you know, I, I saw Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless recently arguing the, the Draymond Charles Barkley thing, which is laughable, right? And they both kind of just passingly agreed, like, well, yeah, Draymond is a better passer than Charles. Like, are y'all insane? Charles Barkley is one of the best passing power forwards or centers I've ever seen. When you think of the greatest passing big men, you think of guys like Arvita Sabonis, Vladi Divac, Chris Webber, um, you know, just, just to name a few off the top of my head. Charles is right there in that conversation. He was brilliant at passing the basketball. Brilliant. I, it's the most underrated aspect of his game was his ability to pass. As a matter of fact, in, a, in, a, in the midst of a playoff game, he, he dropped a dime to a teammate in Hubie Brown. We all remember, we all love Hubie Brown, right? He commented, nobody in the history of this game passes the ball better when they are doubled or triple teamed below the foul line than Charles Barkley. What's funny is that, so Draymond, <laughs> Draymond does the pick and roll with Steph and they trap Steph to get the ball out of his hands. He goes down the lane and he has the four on three, right? And so because he can throw a lob to Iguodala coming off the baseline, people think he's a better passer than Barkley. Like, has he ever passed out of a double team? Of course not. Usually Draymond is zero team. Like nobody even guards Draymond because he's not a threat. <laughs> Nobody's trying to. <laughs> he's never seen a double team in his life. Maybe in high school. Maybe that's it. You know he's never passed out of a double team before. Like come on. Like he, he's not even. Ha- no, not not no. Also there was the the toughness factor with Chuck. He was like a legit tough guy at a time when you know a lot of guys proclaimed to be tough. Like he actually mixed it up with Bill Lambeer and. Charles Oakley and Shaq and like won most of those altercations. In fact, I never really seen Barkley lose a fight in the NBA. He beat up guys in the NBA. He beat up guys outside the NBA. He was like a legitimate tough guy. So I think that counts for something too. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it 100 now. I'm gonna keep it 100 here because that's what we do on this podcast. I'm gonna talk about his weaknesses, right? And the criticisms of his game, right? So his three-point shooting, Chuck was not a good three-point shooter statistically. He took too many of them at times, but he was at least a little bit streaky, right? In 28 games where Charles made at least three three-pointers he shot over 40 percent or better in each of those games so i know that's kind of a weird stat but it's like if you look at somebody like james harden for instance who has 77 games where he's taken where he's made at least three three-pointers but he shot under 35 percent <laughs> you know what i mean so when charles was shooting threes and he was making them he made him at a pretty good clip in, in that game. He was pretty streaky, right? James Harden, somebody like that who takes a, a, a large volume of threes like he does, he, you know, he would go three for 10, two for 10, one for 10. He's going to keep chucking, right? 
Um, but Charles did shoot a little bit too many of them. I, I can't agree to that. Um, he always gets crap for his conditioning and his weight and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously he, you know, the weight jokes are funny, the fat jokes and all that stuff. Krispy Kreme, ha ha ha, right? Show me the game where Charles Barkley was like, not able to deliver for his team because he was out of shape. I've never seen it. Like, we all joke about that stuff, but I've never seen the playoff game or, or big game in prime time where he was really winded and people were just looking at him like, man, this dude is just not in good enough shape and it's not gonna, he's not gonna get it done for his team. He, he, he ate too many uh, chicken wings on Friday night. Like, I've never seen that before. So, for all that stuff, you know, p- you know people talk about, he, oh, he went out too much, he partied too much. I don't really buy into that either. I think, like I said before, he played the game in such a way, balls to the wall, 94 feet, you know, all that stuff. His body couldn't hold up for that for so long. After about 10 seasons, he started breaking down, and he was, um, from an injury standpoint, not the same player after the 93 season. And I think it was because of his style of play and his recklessness on the court, frankly. I don't think it had as much to do with him not getting in before closing time or whatever. Um, people trash him for the Houston years, right? Because he went to Houston. He was ring chasing, quote unquote. Um, like like he tried to uh, force the trade to Houston or whatever, which is overblown. Um, he wanted out of Phoenix just like he wanted out of Philly, but he didn't dictate exactly where he was going to go in those instances like LeBron and Kevin Durant did. <laughs> like That's not what that was, but he, people mischaracterize that all the time. Um, and people claimed he was washed up and was shooting too many threes in Houston, but his rebounding went up when he went to Houston. And he actually led the Rockets in win shares each of those three years that he was there. Um, and I say three years, the fourth year he got injured early in the season, so I don't really count that one. He averaged 17 and 12 and four assists in those three years. And last thing is like his, his leadership and his attitude. Like I said, he, he didn't, um, he got along with some teammates great, like, like uh, Rick Mahorn and Moses Malone had nothing but great things to say about him. You know, he, he, <laughs> when things weren't going so well, he called his GM a caddy for the owner, but you couldn't really blame him, right? Like, cause they didn't bring him anybody to play with him. We're definitely going to talk about that. But his favorite line was, I asked for Shaq. They gave me Charles Shackelford. I think that pretty much says what the Sixers were doing with Barkley, right? Um, so he did force a trade out of Philly. Um, you know, he took pay cuts to, to bring in guys like Danny Ainge in Phoenix and Scottie Pippen in Houston. So basically, when things were going good, he was good to have as a teammate, and he was a good leader. When things were not going good, he, yeah, things, things can go off the rails a little bit, right? Um, you know, he did get into some fist fights off the court. That's not really what you want from your superstar. Um, you know, he could definitely be whiny when things weren't going well, like they were his last year in Philly. But generally, though, um, things were going, you know, pretty well most years because he was a great player and, and teammates loved him generally. The other thing that people knock him for is his defense. I'm going to touch on that in just a moment. But first, I want to get into a conversation about the statistics, right? Because Charles has a very, very, very strong statistical case to back up this wildly outlandish claim that he's actually one of the 10 greatest players ever, right? So we can start with the easy stuff, the traditional stats that most people, most um, casual fans understand, points, rebounds, assists, and stuff like that. We're going to get into that first, and then we're going to steer the conversation into the advanced analytics for all my nerds listening out there, right? So Barkley right now ranks 26th all-time in scoring, and obviously this is as of May 3rd, 2020. Um, he was approximately 13th all-time when he retired, though, but he's been passed by younger guys, you know, LeBron, Dirk, Kobe, Shaq, Duncan, a lot of guys. Um, but this is important, though, because it, I think it maybe skews or it paints, it gives the wrong representation of how good he was. 
when you look at the list of names that have passed him since he retired. I mean, so it's like guys can pass you as the years go by, but it doesn't take away from your greatness. That's kind of the point there. So his point per game average is 30th all time. Um, so that may not seem like a lot, but it is higher than some guys like Dr. J, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, John Havlicek. He's higher than all those guys. He's currently 19th all-time in rebounds. Um, again, he was approximately 13th when he retired, but he got passed by some of those same guys, plus Dwight Howard, right? Um, but now he's 21st in rebounds per game. When you look at Barkley's career, 11.7 rebounds per game average, that's higher than Carl Malone, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, Hakeem Olajuwon, Shaquille O'Neal, Patrick Ewing, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and all three members of the Celtics' big three. So, not too shabby. Field goal percentage, with a minimum of 10,000 field goal attempts, Barkley actually ranks eighth all-time in field goal percentage. In two-point percentage, he's third all-time. In true shooting percentage, and effective field goal percentage, he's fifth all-time. So those are some quick little analytic nuggets there. In the last 50 seasons, only Barkley and Kareem averaged 25.12 boards and five assists in a single season. Barkley's only one of four players to put up 25-12 and five with 50% shooting in a season. The other guys are all seven-footers, Kareem, Wilt, and Giannis, who did it last year. So let's get into a little bit of the analytics, y'all. Again, for, for, all my, for all my pocket protected wearing listeners out there, right? Let's start with PER, which measures a per-minute productivity of a player, right? Minimum 600 games. That's kind of the cutoff that I went with to kind of get random people out of there who, who don't really deserve to be there just yet. This stat has been measured going back to 1951-52. Barkley ranks 10th all-time in PER ahead of Kareem, Duncan, Magic, Karl Malone, Curry, Hakeem, Bird, Oscar, Kobe, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, KG, Dirk Moses, and Bill Russell. Not bad, right? Um, let's go to let's go to box plus minus. How about box plus minus? So that stat goes back to 1973-74. Estimates a player's contribution to a team when they're playing. Right? Let's <laughs> seems like a pretty relevant stat. Like like, are you doing shit when you're on the court or not? Right? That's kind of what box plus minus measures. Barkley's ranked 11th all time. Uh, with a minimum of 600 games. He's ahead of Kareem, Duncan, KG, Shaq, Karl Malone, Hakeem, Kobe, Dirk, and Moses Malone. Now, it hurts somebody like Kareem because, again, the stat only goes back to 73-74, and Kareem was playing earlier than that and had some great years before that. But as it stands right now, Barkley's ahead of him, and he's ahead of all those other guys that I mentioned, and more, several other Hall of Famers. I encourage you to look up the list. Value above replacement which basically converts box plus minus into an estimate of the contribution of a player versus a hypothetical replacement player, quote unquote. Um, Barkley, again, this goes back to 73-74. Barkley ranks 11th all time in value over replacement player or BORP. He's ahead of Kobe, Magic, Bird, Shaq, Hakeem, Durant, Pippen, Wade, Dr. J, Curry, among others. Uh, Kobe's on here a lot, by the way. Uh, the analytics are not fans of Kobe Bryant. <laughs> and yeah, Charles is just um, ahead of a lot of guys, man. Like people just don't, they don't get it, man. Um, win shares. So this game is all about winning, right? Everybody wants to classify Michael Jordan as the consummate winner. Bill Russell as the consummate winner. Winning is the most important name of the game, blah, 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 right? Win shares all time. Win share estimates a player's contribution to their team's win total. 
Chuck ranks 14th all-time. He's ahead of Kobe, Moses, Bill Russell, Bill Russell, Hakeem, Jerry West, Magic Johnson. The same Magic Johnson who went to nine NBA finals and won five championships. That Magic Johnson. Larry Bird, Kevin Durant, Bob Pettit, Havlicek, right? And then they also have win shares per 48 minutes. So again, it's the same kind of thing, except it's, it's, they normalize it over the course of a 48-minute game, and that way it accounts for players who play different types of minutes per game on a per-game basis. So when you account for that, wins share per 48, minimum 600 games, Barkley's 10th all-time. He's ahead of West, Pettit, Duncan, Shaq, Oscar, Curry, Carl Malone, Bird, Dirk, Russell, KG, Moses, Dr. J, Hakeem, Kobe, and Elgin Baylor. Come on, y'all. Talk to me, y'all. Talk to me. Tell me why my dude isn't in the conversation, okay? Why is he not in the top 10 conversation? He's ranking in the top 15 in all these categories, but some reason, for some reason he's not in the top 10 when people make these lists, okay? He's crapping all over Tim Duncan, KG, Carl Malone, and these guys, but for some reason people think that they're better than him. I'm just saying, right? And we ain't even get to the cream of the crap yet. Offensive rating, minimum 600 games going back to 1973-74, estimates the number of points produced by a player per 100 possessions. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Charles Barkley ranks eighth all time in offensive rating. Who is he ahead of? I, I dare you to ask me who he's ahead of on this list. He's ahead of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Larry Bird, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Hakeem Olajuwon, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas didn't even make the list, okay? Basically, on a per-possession basis, which you know, is how offensive efficiency is measured, Charles Barkley is the highest ever among players who used as many possessions as he did. That uh, rating, offensive rating is 119, actually. 119 all-time for a player whose usage percentage is at least 24, right? 24%. And with a minimum of 13,000 minutes, because, again, we have to filter out some guys, right? Because as it stands right now, Nikola Jokic was actually, like, in the top three all-time, but he's only played, like, 300-something games. Get out of here, Nikola Jokic. You don't count for right now. (laughs) Not in the historical basketball discussion does Jokic count. So I told y'all earlier that we were going to have a discussion about Charles' defense. Charles Barkley was not a great defender, but he was a better defender than people give him credit for. People don't really give him credit for as good of a defender as he was. First of all, he was a good team defender. So playing weak side, playing passing lanes, getting steals and blocks and stuff like that, much better than people give him credit for. And if you think I'm lying, who really gave him buckets? Tell me. Tell me who gave Charles buckets on a regular basis. Go pull up the games and fire away the YouTube video at hiphopsportsreport.com or, or at... HHS report on Twitter, because I'd love to see the video where somebody's just abusing Barkley over and over again, because I haven't seen it. I'm not saying he didn't give up points. I'm not saying guys didn't score on him. But to make it out to be like he's some kind of defensive sieve is inaccurate, right? But that's how people always try to play it. They always have fun with him at his expense and stuff like that. Oh, Charles never played any D. Well, okay. Is rebounding a part of defense? Because last time I checked, word to Nip Hustle, rebounding a defensive rebound is what ends a possession a defensive possession that's how you verify that you have officially stopped the other team from scoring on that possession as mentioned charles barkley arguably the greatest rebounder that ever lived so if rebounding is a part of defense and charles is one of the greatest to ever do it he has to be a better defender than what people give him credit for how could he be a terrible defender but he's always cleaning the boards the way he was 
10, 15, 20, 25 rebounds. He's cleaning the glass constantly. That's a big part of defense is rebounding. It secures the ball and it ends the offensive team's possession. That should greatly enhance his defensive standing. But if you need more context or more information, 1.54 steals per game. That's third all-time amongst power forwards and centers for Charles Barkley, only behind Akeem Olajuwon and George McGinnis. In the playoffs, he averaged 1.57 steals per game with a minimum of 20 playoff games. That was fourth all-time amongst power forwards and centers. If you, if you up that to 30 playoff games, he's third, right? He averaged 0.8 blocks per game over about 1,073 games, I believe. Fourth all-time amongst players listed 6'6 six, six or shorter. 0.9 blocks per playoff game. Sixth all-time amongst players listed 6'6 six, six or shorter. So he's doing pretty well. Again, given his size and given what his responsibilities were and what he's asked to do, he's actually doing pretty damn well in the block and steals department, which doesn't tell you the whole story about defense, but gives you a little bit of insight in what uh, he was doing there. The advanced stats. Here's where it gets even more interesting. Again, so defensive rating. Let's start with defensive rating. So we mentioned offensive rating. Charles is top eight ever. Um, defensive rating since 73-74. So this, again, estimates... Points a, a player allows per 100 possessions. And again, it's an estimate, right? And with all these analytic statistics, I should mention this, y'all. You can't take analytics as the end-all, be-all. Because if you go through these numbers, you'll see some stuff that really doesn't make a ton of sense to you. Like you'll see certain players ahead of other guys, and you'll be like, I know that that player was better at that than this. That doesn't make a ton of sense. And that's true. You'll find that within the analytics stuff. But what you cannot ignore is the overall body of work. When you put all these statistics together, it tells a story. And that's what I'm trying to tell you tonight. Defensive rating all-time, Charles Barkley ranks 198th, which may not sound that impressive. 198th all-time. Isn't that great, right? Well, he's ahead of Moses Malone. (laughs) And he's ahead of noteworthy defenders such as Dennis Johnson, Chris Paul, Shane Battier, Sidney Moncrief, Clyde Drexler, Kevin Durant. Andre Iguodala, and Kobe Bryant, who was not listed at all on the list. So you can laugh at 198th if you want to. He's ahead of Kobe. Kobe didn't even make the cut. Defensive box plus minus. Since 73-74, Barkley ranked 129th all-time. He's still ahead of Durant, Shaq, Kyle Lowry, who's a good defender, Dennis Rodman, Gary Payton, Tyson Chandler, Sidney Moncrief, Dennis Johnson. These are guys that are Defensive Player of the Year winners in their NBA career, and Charles ranks ahead of them. And Kobe, once again, was not listed. Um, 39th all-time is where Charles Barkley ranked in defensive win shares. He's ahead of Kobe, Clyde Drexler, Gary Payton, Mark Eaton, Alonzo Mourning, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, Andre Iguodala, Tyson Chandler, Kevin Durant, Ron Artest, Magic Johnson, Dr. J, and Bob Pettit. So here again, we're seeing that the statistics are telling a little bit of a different story than what is perceived to be about Charles Barkley. Now, I'm not saying he's Akeem Olajuwon on defense. I'm not saying he's David Robinson or even Tim Duncan on defense, right? Far from it. But he was not as bad as people make it out to be. So now the last portion of the podcast, I want to spend talking a little bit about just kind of the story around Barkley's career, um, the career narrative, we'll call it. Um, just again, just common things that people think or maybe didn't know or just just the story the story arc of Charles's career, because I think it really helps paint the broader picture of, of why this guy is underrated historically. I'm going to start off by talking about the GOAT debate for power forward. So again, we're talking 
Barkley, Duncan, KG, Dirk, and Carl Malone, right? Those are the five guys that people rank. When I see this conversation on social media, Barkley's usually fifth out of those five. Or, you know, somewhere between three and five. Rarely is he ever one or two. When you look at the numbers, and I'm actually going to link, I'm going to link to a website that has these numbers listed for you. When you talk about regular season and playoff numbers, Barkley's surprisingly stack up favorably against all of those guys, including the advanced numbers. Among those five players, Barkley is first in career rebounds per game, offensive rebounds per game, assists per game, steals per game, field goal percentage, two-point percentage, and effective field goal percentage. That's regular season and playoffs. Um, you can throw in defensive rebounding if you're talking about the playoffs. Barkley was second in points per game and third in playoff points per game. And he was not last in any of these categories. I looked it up. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong, right? He's not last in any of these categories. The only one that he was really kind of last in was turnovers. And um, him and Carl Malone were duking it out for the turnover thing. But they were all within the same range. All five of those guys were within the same turnover range. But Barkley was first or second in basically every major category. The advanced stats, um, Barkley was first in regular season PER, true shooting percentage, win shares for 48, box plus minus, uh, offensive box plus minus, and offensive rating. He was first in playoff, offensive rating, true shooting percentage, rebound percentage, and box plus minus. He was narrowly second to Tim Duncan in PER and win shares for 48 in the playoffs. Barkley was fighting with Dirk Nowitzki for last place in most of these defensive stats, except for steals percentage, because he was actually pretty high on that. So my major takeaways from these numbers, y'all, is that, number one, Charles Barkley and Tim Duncan, who, again, is not a power forward, but we'll include him in this discussion anyways. Charles Barkley and Tim Duncan were first or second in basically every category. You know, the only ones that we really saw Dirk have any kind of leg up on was three-point shooting and free-throw shooting. You take that away, Dirk is below all these guys in everything else, right? Carl Malone, he ranks high in terms of totals because he played forever and never missed any games. But he never ranked higher than anybody in anything of any significance. And neither did Kevin Garnett for that matter. Kevin Garnett wasn't the best offensive player of the bunch. That was Barkley. He wasn't the best defensive player of the bunch. That was Duncan. So... It just goes to show you kind of where Barkley stacks up, I think. And considering his height and what he had to work with around him, Charles Barkley was better than all these dudes. But the thing about it is he had the worst career of the bunch. And that's where people get it messed up. Talking a little bit about the uh, clutch games and big games, clutch gene, all that clutch crap that everybody likes to talk about in 2000, whatever, whatever. This wasn't really a thing until... Skip Bayless took over first take <laughs> in the mid-2000s, and all of a sudden, clutch, 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 right? So just for the record, Charles had five career Game 7s in the playoffs. His record was 2-3. and three. Not overly impressive, but in those games, he averaged 25 points, 18 rebounds, three assists, two steals, and shot 53% from the floor. That is impressive. He uh, notoriously had a 44-point, 24-rebound Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals against Seattle in 93. Only Wilt, Hakeem, and Kareem have ever put up those numbers in a playoff game. He also had um, uh, four game fives that were, you know, best of five series back in the days, which it was in the first round. So he played in four of those. Um, he had a three and one record. He averaged 20 points, 15 rebounds, and five assists in those games. Again, pretty stellar stuff. He also hit the big jump shot over David Robinson, who was one of the elite defenders of all time and much bigger than Barkley, but Barkley stuck a jumper in his grill 
to end the semifinals of the Western Conference Series that they had against the Spurs back in 93. Um, closed out San Antonio season. Closed out the Hemisphere Arena. Shout out to the Hemisphere Arena, right? Um, and that takes us to the NBA Finals, right? So we saw they actually showed a Charles Barkley highlight montage in the middle of the Chicago Bulls freaking docu-series. You know what I'm saying? That's how dope Barkley is. I tweeted earlier, you're not going to see a Carl Malone highlight reel montage in the middle of <laughs> the Last Dance documentary. I'm pretty certain of that. Because the comments were flooding in on Twitter right after the show. Like, man, Charles Barkley was great. Like, yeah, fool. I'm doing a whole podcast about it. In the NBA Finals against Michael Jordan, Charles averaged 27 points on 48% shooting from the floor, 13 rebounds, 5.5 assists, one steal and a half a block a game with less than two turnovers per game in that six game series against the Bulls. And he did it mostly with an injured elbow that he hurt in game two. In game two, Charles played probably his best game. He had 42 points and 13 rebounds in that game. In game three, which was the triple overtime marathon in Chicago, he scored 24 points, grabbed 19 boards played 53 minutes and got the w in chicago matter of fact his phoenix team won two out of the three games in chicago in that series charles had a triple double in game four 32 points 12 boards 10 assists and in game six he had 21 points 17 rebounds didn't shoot that well from the floor but had his sons in a position to win the game late um actually got a tremendous tremendous ain't even a word it was really one of the most spectacular offensive rebounds you'll ever see he pulled down in that game of course if he wins that game then maybe you know who knows what happens in game seven he got 44 and 24 game seven of the conference finals that year so if they pull out game six they got game seven at home in phoenix and who knows what barkley does it's, it's my personal greatest what if in sports history i would love to know if phoenix wins that game which they really should have what would happen in game seven it's easy to sit here and say that the bulls would win and i'm not even going to argue with that um but we don't know that the bulls would win and I would have loved to have seen Game 7 Finals Mike, and I would have loved to have seen Game 7 Charles yeah, for the Finals, for the chip. Um, so in the final minute of Game 6 of the Finals in 93, the Suns were up four with a minute 10 left. Dan Marley missed a long three that nearly went in. It actually hit the rim like four times. Charles, called, Charles grabs this crazy offensive rebound. He shoves Scottie Pippen out of the way, mistimes his jump, and still grabs his offensive rebound and calls timeout while falling down. It was one of the most like forgotten great plays that you'll see in the NBA finals. Right. And so that retained possession. So again, Phoenix is up four now with 50 seconds left. Frankie Johnson bricked a wide open 17 footer that would have put the Suns up six with 46 seconds left. If he makes that shot, I think the game is over. Jordan goes down and scores uh, quickly. And then on the next trip down, Dan Marley choked. I don't even know what, I mean, he just gagged a, baseline wide open 15 footer that would have put the suns up four with 15 seconds left if he makes that shot i think the suns win the game both of those shots the the actually three shots the long three by marley the wide open jumper by frank johnson the wide open jumper by dan marley if if any of those shots drop the john packs and stuff none of that matters because the bulls don't win the game and it's just amazing to me again when you look at a player's career so much of it comes down to luck. But in the 93 playoffs, Charles averaged 27 points on 48% shooting, 13 and a half boards, four assists, a steal and a half, and a block per game. The Suns were 5-0 and facing elimination in those playoffs until game six of the finals. 
I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about the Dream Team right quick. What's funny about the Dream Team, and they talked about that on the documentary as well, and they were very effusive of their praise of Michael Jordan. You know, he was the best player on the Dream Team. He was the leader. He was the man and all that stuff. And that's that's all well and good. He was the man on paper, and he was the man coming into the into that summer because he had just won second title. And But let me tell you something. Charles Barkley was the best player in those Olympic Games. And it may sound crazy to say that, he was the best player on the team during the Olympics. Like people talked about they, in the documentary, they talked about what Jordan did during practice and during that pickup game that they had. And he was the best player out there or whatever. And, and that may be true, but guess what? When the game was actually counted and mattered, Charles Barkley was the best player. Mike Wilbon once said that he, this was the greatest team ever assembled in any sport, which it was. Chuck Daly, who coached the team said that Barkley left the locker room with the most fire Magic Johnson said that he was their MVP of the Olympic run. These are direct quotes from the guys that were there that said that Charles Barkley was the man on those Olympic teams, which again, the greatest team ever assembled in anything, in the history of teams. Barkley led the team in scoring. I bet you didn't know that. He led the dream team in scoring. He actually led both of the two original dream teams in scoring in 92 and in 96. He also led the 96 team in rebounding, but In my experience following basketball, correct me if I'm wrong on this, y'all, normally the guy who scores the most points is viewed historically as the greatest player on the team. Now, am I having a discussion about is is Barkley better than Michael Jordan? That's a harder sell, and I understand that. But what I am saying is that Barkley was the best player in those Olympics, and if he actually had talent around him, (laughs) <laughs> in, in his actual NBA career like he did on the Olympic stage, who knows what we would have seen from Barkley. We see how efficient he was when the defenses were basically gearing to stop just him, right? When KD joined the Warriors, they just blew everybody out, right? And Durant was the leading scorer and the number one option. And thus, he was recognized as the best player. So what I am saying is that Barkley, if, even if he's not greater than Jordan, if you've believed that, that's fine. But he was at least the second best player on the greatest team ever, if not the best, because he had the best Olympic Games. The biggest thing that sticks in the craw, you know, the, the, the Charles Barkley advocates, which there aren't a ton of us, but there needs to be more, is that he didn't win a title. And it's official, folks. I've officially bored my wife out of the room. She has just left. Good night, sweetheart. There was too much Barkley content for her to handle. She just had to get up out of here. I get it. So Charles never won an NBA championship. Well, let's, let's break that down and figure out why. Let's, let's do some investigative reporting, right? Investigative reporting sounds good. Let's start with coaches, right? Because those 12 guys that I mentioned earlier at the top of the pyramid of players, right? There was a lot of Red Auerbach, a lot of Greg Popovich, a lot of Phil Jackson in that discussion, right? Charles Barkley had one season with Billy Cunningham, two and a half seasons with Matt Gukas, four and a half seasons with Jimmy Lynham, three and a half seasons with Paul Westfall, a half a season with Cotton Fitzsimmons and four years with Rudy Tomjanovich, which was really only three years with Rudy Tomjanovich. Of that group, Rudy T is considered to be a very good coach. Billy Cunningham is considered a great coach, but he only got Cunningham for one year, and he only got Rudy T on the back end, his last three years of actual play in, in Houston. And that's kind of the story here, is that the bulk of support that Charles had in his career came at the very beginning and the very end of his career. And during his prime in the middle, he didn't have that. Let's talk about his teammates. Because his teammates is kind of where this thing stands. His teammates and, and his management around him, right? So when he came into the league, 
um, when he was a young man, not even ready to lead a team yet, he did have Dr. J, Moses Malone, Maurice Cheeks, and Andrew Tony. Those guys were all old. And then, of course, when he got to Houston, he had Akeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, and one year of Scottie Pippen. But those guys were all old, and Barkley was old himself at that point. If you take, if you look at after Dr. J retired, because he had about three seasons with Dr. J. He had two seasons with Moses, three seasons with Doc. Doc retires 1987, right? And then going into that next year, Philly can't even make the playoffs. But when Charles had elite teammates, he made the conference finals. He made the conference finals in Phoenix, obviously, with KJ and Marley, who weren't far from elite, but I'm going to get to that too. But when he had those 76er teams, he was in the conference finals as a rookie. He made the conference finals his first year in Houston with that older roster. When he had guys around him, he was going deep into the playoffs. He was going to the conference finals and finals when he actually had decent teammates around him. Let me tell y'all a tale, y'all. Let me tell y'all a tale about the 1986 Philadelphia 76ers. The 1986 76ers lost game seven of the second round of the playoffs to the Milwaukee Bucks. And Moses Malone was out with a, with a broken orbital bone. So he didn't play in that series. Philly entered the summer with the first pick of the draft and the 21st pick of the draft. The night before the draft, in the dark of night, the general manager at the time, Pat Williams, traded away Moses Malone and Terry Catledge and a first-round pick in 86 and a first-rounder in 1988. That's right. He traded away one of the great players of all time, plus a decent young player in Catledge, and two unprotected first-round picks. They didn't have protections back then. What do you think he got back for that? You, you would think that the Sixers got, got uh, uh, Jordan and Pippen back for that, right? They got back Cliff Robinson and Jeff Rulin from the Washington Bullets. Not headband Cliff Robinson, the other Cliff Robinson, the older one. That's it. That's all they got back. The same night, the night before the 86 draft, they traded the number one pick of the draft to the Cavaliers for Roy Henson and Cash. That pick turned into Brad Doherty was a five-time all-star in two trades in two trades they gave away Moses Malone Terry Catledge (laughs) and three first round picks including the first pick of the draft and all they got back was Cliff Robinson Jeff Rulin and Roy Henson their first pick in 1986 didn't come until number 44 overall that was David Wingate and the story gets crazier y'all the draft was on June 17th on June 19th Pat Williams says, I'm leaving the 76ers. I'm out of here. And he leaves. He announces, Pat Williams, that he's going to run the new group that's starting a new team down in Orlando, Florida. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? Imagine Bob Myers, the general manager of the Golden State Warriors, trading away Steph Curry. The same Steph Curry, who was the face of the franchise, had led them to multiple NBA finals and won championships there. An all-time great player. Imagine Bob Myers trades Steph Curry away, along with Eric Pascal, a promising, decent young player, two unprotected first-round picks with it for Nikola Vucevic and Evan Fournier <laughs> from Orlando, from the Orlando Magic. Because they both average about 19 points a game or so, which is what Jeff Ruin and Cliff Robinson were bringing down. Decent numbers. But would you trade Steph Curry, uh, Eric Pascal, and two unprotected first-round picks for that? I don't think so. And then on top of that, you trade the number one overall pick in the draft for like Julius Randle or somebody. 
Like, that's essentially what the Sixers did. They just destroyed their team and their future in 10 minutes. They set the franchise back for like seven years with two horrific, horrendous trades in 10 minutes the night before the NBA draft. Can you imagine what Twitter would do to the Warriors if they did that? Imagine they traded away that pick for, for Julius Randle on top of this other, this other trade that was a catastrophe. Like, this is what Charles Barkley had to overcome in Philly, and it's no coincidence that he couldn't overcome it. Charles had one all-star teammate after Doc retired in Philly, and that was Hershey Hawkins. He made one all-star team in 1991. Hershey Hawkins is a decent player, but, I mean, come on now. He's going up against Michael Jordan. He's going up against the Knicks of the 90s. He's going up against some really good teams in the Eastern Conference. They had the Celtics. They had the Cavs that were coming up. Charles needed some, some, somebody to run with. They could only give him Hershey Hawkins. Hershey Hawkins. That's all they could give him. Pretty solid if he's your third guy. Not an adequate number two guy. Jeff Rulin for the Sixers played five games, then he blows his knee out. Roy Henson didn't last two full seasons in Philly. Cliff Robinson played three years, but was never better in Philly than he was in his last year in Washington. Meanwhile, Moses Malone played four more years of averaging 20 and 10. They, tra- they thought he was done. They traded him too soon. He was averaging... Now, there was some speculation there was a contract dispute there, but... He was still averaging 20 and 10. Brad Doherty became a five-time All-Star. And that could have actually been Len Bias. And so, you know, obviously with Len Bias' situation, we know how that wound up. But that could have been Len Bias even. Um, that pick, that, that was the number 21 pick that went to Washington. They took a dude named Anthony Jones. That could have been Mark Price. Mark Price was on the board. So was Scott Skiles and Dennis Rodman, actually. But Mark Price, a four-time All-Star, first-team All-NBA. And then that pick in 88 that they traded also in that same Moses trade, that could have been Dan Marley. It turned into Harvey Grant. It could have been Dan Marley, a three-time All-Star. And Terry Catledge, remember him? He actually went down to Orlando and averaged 19 points a game one year. So if you think about it, in 1987, Philly could have had Barkley, Doherty, or maybe even Len Bias, maybe, Dr. J still, Moses, Maurice Cheeks, Terry Catledge and Mark Price. And who, who knows? Maybe the next year, they, because they have a good squad, maybe they convince Doc to come back one more year. And if that were the case, in 88, they could have had Barkley, Doherty, Dr. J, Moses, Cheeks, Price, Terry Catledge, and Dan Marley. Like, that could have been the squad he was running with. Now, that sounds a little far-fetched, right? But look at everything that happened for Golden State's dynasty to work out, from, from Steph's ankles to being healthy to not trading Steph instead trading Monte Ellis and the cap spike and Durant coming over because the Thunder lost a 3-1 lead and then the Warriors ended up losing to the Cavs. But if they win, Durant probably doesn't come. Like a lot of things had to fall into place for the Warriors to, to make that dynasty happen. Drafting Draymond in the second round and him turning into what he turned into. He's not Charles Barkley, but he was all right for them. Clay Thompson, they almost traded him for Kevin Love, but they didn't. Like, there were so many near misses that all fell Golden State's way. Everything fell against Philly's way when Barkley was there in the late 80s. And, and that's why the, the team turned out the way that it did. It's a lot of ifs, man, but I'm just saying. Now people are putting Kevin Durant and Steph Curry ahead of Charles Barkley on these all-time lists. It's, it's comical. All you need to know about the 76ers management is this. When they t- finally traded Barkley in 1992 in the summer, they traded him for Jeff Hornacek, Tim Perry, and Andrew Lang. Thank you very much. That's all you need to know about them. So basically, his last five years in Philly and his four years in Phoenix, 
His best teammates, Charles's best teammates, Kevin Johnson, Dan Marley, Hershey Hawkins. It's not enough. Kevin Johnson stunk in the finals in 93. Great player. Came to play in 94 for the most part. He had one great run with, with Kevin Johnson, who was a five-time All-NBA player, but he didn't play well in the finals. He averaged 17 points, 42% shooting, six assists, four and a half turnovers a game. That's not good from your second best player. And the two games that KJ played well, the Suns won. <laughs> so Charles ended up losing to the eventual NBA champions four times in a five-year stretch between the late 80s and mid-90s. Like, that actually, it was all in the 90s. And speaking of teammates, this is the closing argument, ladies and gentlemen, for Charles Barkley. We're going to use Bill Simmons' list of the top 20 players of all time. It's a little outdated. It was from 2010, but he, he ranked the, the top players in his pyramid in his book. Um, and actually, I think it goes like 96 players deep. Barkley was actually 20th on that list, but we're going to swap out um, him and put Dirk in for number 20 because I believe that he would bump Dirk up there now based on this championship and everything else. What I'm about to list off to you is those top 20 players and the teammates that they played with in their coinciding prime years. The list will surprise you. And I'm going to give you where they ranked on Bill Simmons' pyramid because they all did. Michael Jordan was number one on his list. He played with Scottie Pippen, number 24, and Dennis Robin, number 69. LeBron played with Dwayne Wade, number 28. Of course, uh, and LeBron is second now in, in Bill's belief. Um, of course, uh, LeBron played with Anthony Davis and Kyrie and some other guys. Bill Russell played with Bob Cousy, number 21, Sam Jones, 33, Tommy Heinsohn, 57. Kareem played with Magic, number 5, Worthy, 50, and an old Oscar Robinson, albeit he was number 10 on the list. Magic played with Kareem, 4, James Worthy, 50. Larry Bird played with McHale, 35, Dennis Johnson, 54, Robert Parrish, 59. Wilt played with Jerry West, number 9, Gail Goodrich, 87, Elgin Baylor, 15. Uh, he played with those guys for five years. He was a little bit older, but he played with those guys for five years still. And even when he was in his prime prime, Wilt still played with Hal Greer, who was number 48. Tim Duncan played with David Robinson, number 29. Kobe played with Shaq, 13. Dwight Howard, 78. Pal Gasol didn't make the list, but he probably should if they redid it. Jerry West, number 10. He played with Wilt, 7. Baylor, 15. Goodrich, 87. Oscar Robertson, Played with Kareem, 4, Jerry Lucas, 64, and Jack Twyman, 94. Hakeem played with Clyde Drexler, 44, for four years. Shaq played with Kobe, 9, Wade, 28. Moses played with Dr. J, 17. Havlicek, number 15. He played with Russell, 3, Cowens, 31, Sam Jones, 33, Heinsohn, 57. Elgin Baylor played with Wilt, 7, Jerry West, 10. Dr. J played with Moses, number 14. Pettit, number 18, he played with Lenny Wilkins, 71, and Cliff Hagen, 83, both Hall of Famers. Carl Malone, number 19, played with John Stockton, number 25, and Dirk, who we slotted in, he played with Steve Nash, 36, and Jason Kidd, 43. Jason Kidd was a little bit older, I admit that. Who did Charles Barkley play with? He played with Kevin Johnson when they were both in their primes at the same time. To my surprise, Kevin Johnson actually made the list. I didn't think he made the list at all. He was number 93. Dan Marley didn't make the list. Hershey Hawkins ain't making the list. So you have Charles Barkley in his prime and Kevin Johnson in his prime. Charles's best teammate ranked 93rd. And if they redid this list, he probably doesn't make the list at all. That's what I'm talking about. Teammates. Who did you play with? 
Jordan didn't do it on his own. LeBron ain't do it on his own. Nobody does it on their own. And even if you do do it on your own, it's because everything had to fall into place for one specific year. You didn't repeat. I know that much. Everybody in the top 20 has won a championship other than Elgin Baylor and Karl Malone. 16 of those 20 had at least one teammate in the top 30. Uh, Larry Bird and Bob Pettit did not, but Bird had three teammates in the top 60, and Bob Pettit had two teammates in the top 85. And also, of the 96 players that Bill Simmons listed in his book, Charles Barkley, who's number 19, ranks 14th in win shares and 9th in win shares for 48. I'm just saying, y'all, who you play with matters. To recap, Charles Barkley didn't have any coaching support, like on, on terms of like all-time level, when he was in his prime years. He didn't have any teammate support. He didn't have any support from his front offices because they couldn't put any teams, teammates around him. That's why he demanded a trade out of Philly and Phoenix anyway. Barkley had some bad luck, man. I mean, he, he got hurt when he shouldn't have gotten hurt. He almost got traded to the Lakers, but the Sixers backed out of the deal in 92. Um, the, the 1986 trades destroyed the franchise in Philly. But the point is that he didn't play with anybody. He didn't. And I like Kevin Johnson. I like Dan Marley. But those guys, they're, they're not anywhere near the top of this list. When we talk about Charles Barkley's inability to win a world championship, we have to understand that he was saddled with, at best, decent coaching, at best, decent teammates, but nothing exceptional. He had to be more than exceptional to get his team over the hump, and he couldn't do it on his own because nobody really can. That's the flaw in judging an individual's success by team accomplishments. He should not be punished. And by putting him at number 19, 20, 21 in your all-time rankings is unfair punishment. You have all the information now. Charles Barkley was an unbelievable force of nature when he played, but he didn't have anybody to ride with him. So I'm riding with him tonight. I appreciate y'all listening, man. This is a lot of fun for me. This is the definitive Charles Barkley defense podcast. Charles Barkley should be a top 10 player of all time. Charles Barkley, if you ever hear this, know that I love you. Justin Hicks supports you. You are even better than you even give yourself credit for. Thank y'all for listening. We out of here, y'all. Peace.